Welcome to Sanity Shelves, a special segment of Sound of Sanity with amazing Baroque royalty-free music. I love it. This is, this is what the show has been missing this, since its inception. This is I just um, looked up harpsichord music. I was not expecting synthesized flutes. This is wonderful. Thank you. There's like a fawn dancing through our studio <laughs> right now. <laughs> a robot fawn. <laughs> this is a very cheap robot fawn. Yes, a very cheap <laughs> well, that's robot. That's what we could afford. Well, the it's music actually, was it's free. A, it's <laughs> actually Billy, a repurposed Billy Bob from the old Showplace Cinemas before the days of Chuck E. Cheese. Hey, I love Billy Bob. <laughs> I from, don't remember Billy Bob. Oh, he's horrible. Horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. See, he's, what, what do the kids like to say? Uh, cursed. Let's see. I'm That's looking, so looking cursed. Right that now. photo is cursed. He's like that kind of a thing. Kids say that? Well, 35-year-old kids on Twitter say that. Uh, aren't you? Don't they? How old are you? Uh, you know, something like that. <laughs> but, you know, the kids, they say based. Oh, wow. And yeah, they Billy say, Bob. Yeah, Billy Bob's horrifying. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that I remember this thing. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Jake's going back away. He's, he's got to go back to mid '80s for that. I mean, I, would, yeah. I was around in the mid '80s, but I didn't see this. This is amazing. Well, it might also be regional. We had Chuck E. Cheese in my town. I feel like we, or, we, had, we had Showplace Cinemas. Yeah. Or no, no, sorry. We had Showbiz Pizza. That's what Showbiz Pizza is what you mean. Yeah. We do still have Showplace Cinemas, which is something entirely different. It's a movie theater, right. Called Showplace Cinemas, but we had Showbiz Pizza, and then. That became Chuck E. Cheese? It became Chuck E. Cheese. Then, so Then it was part of my childhood. I just can't remember him. I can only remember the rat. So Yeah, so the rat was the bad guy, and then the rat became Chuck E. Cheese, became the good guy. Oh, okay. And everything sort of got shifted around, and Billy Bob disappeared altogether. And, like, the gorilla stayed and okay, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, okay. I guess he does look vaguely familiar. I have to tell myself So, that. actually, Ben, it's, it's very likely, based on the research that I just did, that you did have a Chuck E. Cheese. They were actually, they actually began as the same company, split, became competitors, and would have been competitors during our early childhoods. So, you would have had Chuck E. Cheese's in some towns. No, I, I remember, I remember, pizza the, places. I remember the name changing to Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah, it but then, changed from something. that's part of the story, too, because Pizza Time Theater went bankrupt in 1984, huh. as we all remember. Right. Jake Mentzel was born and Pizza Time Theater went bankrupt the two big events of 1984. I think yeah. Back to the Future came out. No, Back to the Future was next year. Really? Uh, I don't know. 1984 was a good movie year. Showbiz then became Chuck E. Cheese in 1992, basically. So you had, if I'm understanding this right, you had Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz. You had one thing that split. There was a big fight. Became Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz, and then Showbiz went basically went under and was subsumed by Chuck E. Cheese, which had become dominant in the field. So, so, so they okay. split, and then the Chuck E. Cheese camp won out and ended up buying okay. back. So in other words, in our childhood, there would have been Chuck E. Cheese's out there, but then there also would have been Showbiz Pizza places that had that turned into so that's Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese. Cheese. So then I would have known Showbiz Pizza. So yeah. then you would have known Showbiz. But that would have, I do it. That would have been Billy Bob. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I just had forgotten him. Yeah. So yeah, we had crazy. And Evan, so if you go drive down Green River Road in Evansville, Indiana, you yeah. see Chuck E. Cheese. That was Showbiz Pizza. Mm-hmm. And in, or yeah, the ninety two sounds perfectly exactly right to me. Yeah. 
because I was just enough to to be aged out of it. So I would have been eight-ish in 92. And so I, like my five kindergarten, first grade, second grade parties would have been at Showbiz Pizza. And my brothers would have been at Chuck E. Cheese. And I felt like they got the dumb version of it. The, That's what I would have The felt. cheap watered down. Yeah, like, they got that with Chuck E. Cheese, man. Chuck E. Cheese. Showbiz is what it was. And Billy Bob, where's Billy Bob? Hmm. That stupid mouse rat thing, he sucks. He's the bad guy. You guys don't even, you, you don't even know. Well, Billy Bob <laughs> has the face of yes, a- you've been told a lie. <laughs> a hillbilly R word that yeah. you wouldn't trust near your children. He's a very creepy looking- creation with these kind of dead glassy eyes. I mean, I know people like to say that about all the costumes, but Billy Bob is his own brand his of own special dead eyed his own brand freak. of sort of dead eyed. Well, I'll just show you guys the picture that I mean, I'm looking I have, at. I have them up too. This is the one from that just appears on Wikipedia. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's amazing. And it's it's well, that's cursed, great. I tell ya. I love it. I tell as the kids say, I tells ya, it's cursed. I'll tell you what's not cursed, though. Quite the opposite is this show, Sound of Sanity. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben Solzer, the preacher who's a teacher of sanity right there. Hello. Ben, would you like to introduce the third gentleman? We've got Jake Mensel, the pastor who's a master of sanity. Oh, boy. That's do, me. do we ever. All right. Any other thoughts about Showbiz Biz Pizza? I was always more of a CC's man. Myself, when it oh, comes no. to terrible, terrible pizza and an arcade, leave me alone. I don't need a mascot <laughs> did in a CC's suit. CC's have an arcade? The one that I was familiar with did. The CC's in Bloomington went out of business. Co- well, college students would put any CC's out of business. It's really, very really easy to put CC's out of business. And yeah, it was like basically the Christians with their nine people family and college students would just destroy. Show up and just eat and eat and eat and eat. And eat, and eat. eat yeah. Why not? You only live once. I don't think we got a CC's here until like I was in high school. And I went to it one time and that was enough. I, don't, well, I think I've been maybe three times in my life and one of them was with you guys. Yeah. I believe Mr. Solzer was responsible for... What? I do not take responsibility. I think someone else suggested it and I just teed off. I was like, sure, let's do it. What? Does, does that make me responsible? I, I didn't suggest that idea, did I? Jake wouldn't suggest a thing like that. Come on. Um, <laughs> it's false. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys really trying to say that I suggested CC's pizza? I think me and Ben were like, we don't want to go to CC's. What a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jake exactly was like, right. ironically, going to places that suck is my thing, guys. <laughs> thing i that love most very, yeah that, that is very ironic. the cieo we're going to cc's and <laughs> then we were there and yeah. jake was laughing the whole time <laughs> yep <laughs> have another slice ben <laughs> now, jake didn't need no. any himself <laughs> right <laughs> i'm buying <laughs> don't hurt my feelings by not having another slice <laughs> yeah i remember it well <laughs> more cheese bread <laughs> CCs. I don't know. Maybe some of our listeners have fondness for CCs. Listen, you can go on Twitter and use hashtag CCs is better sanity decision. Don't. Just tweet that at, at Jacob Menzel. <laughs> don't do that. Or if you're more of a Chuck E. Cheese man, then you can say, 
Chuck E. Cheese please. best. Chuck E. Cheese, please. Sanity decision. 2023, again, at Jake at Jacob Menzel wants as many of these pe- people to weigh in with these hashtags. That's exactly right. And if you're more of a showbiz pizza bear person, then just use the hashtag. I still support showbiz pizza. It's the best. 2023. All right. All right, folks. Well, is this episode good? Call it good? I think so. We've, litigated, we've litigated some important things. We have litigated some very important things and the only thing that i have to say is excuse me sir you failed well there is the air horn of awesomeness and that means it's time for us to get sanity shelves going but this is the type of episode where we talk about books we've been reading what books have we been reading ben have you read any new books that you want to discuss uh, I feel like I've just been processed on the ones I mentioned last time, Ethan. So, but you haven't processed anything else worth uh, talking about. No, I don't think so. Fair enough. I've got one book I can talk about, and Jake, I think you have a few. Our pre-show discussion. Sure. Tells me. So you just want me to go through what I've been. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know. Do you want to go first, or should I go first? I just I have one wanna, short one. I don't know. You're the host. All right, Jake, what you been reading lately? Uh, I have not come back to habit, Habits of the Household, but it's still on tap. I have come back a little bit to Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. But really, I think there have been two books that I've sort of been dabbling in over the last month and one I just started just this morning. The first is a book called Outlive by Peter Atia. Ah, yes, like the book on like longevity and not dying, right? Yeah, I think it's probably, I think it's just the book on preventative medicine, what he calls Medicine 3.0, the future of medicine, which is thinking less about intervention and more about prevention. It's really great. And I hope it shifts paradigms in the healthcare system over time. I pre ordered it. I pre ordered it for my parents. Did it just come out? Yeah, it came out in mid-March. See, I pre-ordered a hard copy for my parents, showed up on their doorstep uh, the day of its release, and I pre-ordered it on Audible for myself, and I've been listening to it here and Mm -hmm. there. And it's just really good stuff. It's something that I think everybody should listen to or read if they're interested in taking care of themselves, taking care of their parents. And really, we shouldn't be obsessed with health and longevity and lifespan and health span. But we should care about our bodies because God made them. And we should care about getting the most out of the time that God's given us. One thought that I had not long ago, talking to a friend about his dad, who's just sort of given up on life and is laying on the couch waiting to die. And this is sort of stuck with me, is that if Jesus will hold us to account for every idle word, Mm. then he'll hold us to account for every wasted or lost year of our lives because we've not taken care of ourselves. And I I think there's truth to that. I think we have a responsibility to steward the bodies God's given us and to maximize their benefit for our kids and for our grandkids, for God's kingdom, 
And so tea is a really good, useful way to doctor for that sort of thing. And so people should read that. Mm. Ben, your thoughts? Sounds great. I would like to read it. I'm sold. I've Same. listened to a couple of podcasts with Atiyah, and he's a helpful guy, good teacher. Yeah, I think his podcast is excellent. Sometimes it's a little heady yeah. for most mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But I've been listening to his podcast for probably since I found him in 2020. I've been listening to his podcast off and on since then. Yeah, I listened to, you recommended that one to me. You recommended Huberman Labs with Andrew Huberman. So I've listened to, I, I don't listen regularly just because time for me and the number of things I try to listen to makes it hard, but I've listened to several from both of them. Yeah, I think when it comes to somebody like Huberman, you take a couple episodes here and there and take mm-hmm. you know information off the top around S- some themes that you care about. Such deep dives. Well, they're deep dives and it's so, Huberman's so, his shtick is optimization. And it's like, man, if you try to do absolutely everything that Huberman, mm. every Huberman episode recommends, you're gonna, your life is going to be like, well, today I have to spend 11 minutes in a cold shower or in cold water immersion, but it has to be separated from my resistance training by at least six hours. But then I need to sauna and then I need to be in the sunlight for this amount of time and I need this amount of supplements over this amount of, and it's just like insane. Yeah. Time and money wise, it's insane. It, time and money wise, it's insane. And he is a Stanford neurologist. So a lot of what he says is well researched, but research is constantly changing. And he's also supported, he also has a financial stake. He's got partnerships with supplement companies and things like that right. too. And so there's financial incentive for him to push various supplements and things like that, which you can't, He's open and upfront about, but just the same. It's just sort of like at a certain point. And, and Atia is, is, he's not backed by any of the. Now, he does have investments in, in companies and he has a disclosures about companies that he's invested in, but he's not actually funded by those companies. And so mm. there's a little bit of a distinction there that I think is valuable. And he's also just, I think, much less concerned about protocols and optimization and more. And his goal, to listen to him talk, he talks about what he calls the centenarian Olympics. How do I get to be 85, 95, 100 and still able to do things, still have wherewithal, still have the ability to, it's not so much even about trying to live as long as I can, and it's not about sacrificing longevity so that I can get the most and die at 60. It's like if I live to be 85, I still want to be able to play with my great, my grandkids or my great grandkids or something like that. And I still mm-hmm. want to have my memory. And so what can I do now? Just basic. How can I take care of myself now to give myself the best shot at that? And so a lot of it still comes down to basic things like diet and exercise. But it's sobering because he's talking about a lot of what he talks about is about just coming to terms with the fact that we're going to die and we're going to get old. That's okay. That's the way that things go. And we need to be mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared for that. And then we need to do what we can to be sure that we're in a good place as those things happen. And we need to learn to accept them as they come while setting ourselves up to, to thrive as long as possible. 
I want to be able to pick up my grandkids when I'm 65, when I'm 75, when I'm 85. Mm. I want to be able to still be out in the yard playing or whatever. I want to be able to, I want to remember my wife. I want to remember my kids' names. I want to, I don't want to have, I don't want to have Alzheimer's at 75 or 80. I, I want to do what I can now to preserve my ability to, to walk, to move, to pick things up. So, and that's more what he's focused on and the kinds of things that he talks about. And um, I'm still pretty early in that book. I was excited to get it. I've listened to a lot of what he says in a lot of other contexts. So, but it's really well done. And it's the cookies, at least so far, are on a pretty low shelf. That's great. He uses a lot of analogies and stories and stuff like that. I feel good about having gotten it from my parents so far. Because if you listen to some of his episodes, he really can get lost in the weeds and be over your head. Mm. Some of the terminology and scientific data and stuff like that, medical terms and stuff. But yeah, so I really enjoy the book and enjoy him. Cool. And have a lot of respect for him. Cool. That's Outlive by Peter, Peter Atia. Yeah. So there's that one. And then I've also come back to Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, which I don't know. I've tried to read that one, I think, multiple times. And I always quit right when he starts to get really sort of... Or he, there are multiple places in that book you could argue that he jumps off the rails, but he jumps off the rails pretty early when it comes to mm-hmm. anything to do with the sovereignty of God. What's the name of the... Molinism? Yeah, he's a Molinist, and it comes out pretty early in the way that he sort of presents God in relation to the council of the divine council as he as he frames it. Yeah, I've tried that book, and I think I bogged down around chapter one, maybe, because of that, that exactly yeah, that. Yeah, I mean... I think Heiser's one of those people that's really worth hitting your head against because he is dealing with difficult things mm. in scripture that few people have answers for or have a a way to harmonize. But it is also one of those places in scripture that's like there are a lot of, God doesn't pull back the veil very far for us. And so maybe we shouldn't work too hard to try to peer beyond the veil. It is one of those places that, especially today, if you're dealing, I, I think why I went back to him is because all the conversation around DMT and experiences of angelic beings and demonic beings and aliens and that sort of thing. It's sort of like, I read Graham Hancock not too long ago. So I just wanted to, I don't know, give it another shot. I don't think we actually said, if for people who don't know, the book is called The Unseen Realm by Michael S. Heiser. Michael S. Heiser just passed into the Unseen Realm himself. He did in just a couple ago. months ago, yeah. Um, um, but he's going through scripture, as it says in the Amazon description here, explaining how its supernatural worldview can help us grow in our understanding of God. So, so, so it's sort of like this. It's like, hey, what's going on in Psalm 82 where it looks like God's addressing the gods? And what's going on when God says, we have that weird moment where the prophet says he was sitting among the council of God and God mm-hmm. says, who, who will go be a lying... S- no, 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 no. Right. Who will go... Basically, it's Ahab's time to die. Right, that's, right? This, is, this is what I'm How is that going to... How are we going to pull it off? The gods or the spirits or whatever is mm-hmm. kind of not clear. 
are giving different suggestions. And one says, I will go be a lying spirit in the mouth of all Mm -hmm. of his prophets. And God's like, oh, that's a good plan. Let's do that. It will succeed. That'll work. And so then this spirit is like commissioned by God in the divine council or this, what Heiser calls the divine council to go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. What in the world is going on there? Or what is like when Satan or the Satan or whatever comes into the council and asks permission to tempt Job, what's going on? Like in all these places where it talks about the sons of God, where it seems like, are we talking about angels or demons or principalities and powers, what is that? And what's going on in Daniel when we've got these, like, who's the prince of Persia? And why does it seem like there's this, and there's these places Mm -hmm. in Deuteronomy too, that seem like there are these, like, the nations are divided up among angelic powers or principalities of some kind. And how does that all work? And how does, and he's just sort of like trying to, He's trying to provide a coherent view of those things from Scripture, and sort of where it gets a little weird is he's also looking at surrounding cultures and their understandings as well. So anyhow, we had had our discussion about DMT and that sort of thing last month, and I'd read Hancock, and I was a religious studies major, so I've read some of these, I've read some of the Gnostic texts, and certainly read the Book of Enoch which is a really interesting sort of a key text that's pretty important for understanding the spiritual worldview of first century Jews. The book of Enoch is quoted in the New Testament or referenced in the New Testament a couple of times and has very particular views about where demons come from and the whole spiritual unseen realm. It's not canon for a reason. Mm-hmm. But so anyhow, I just wanted to revisit Heiser and see what he said. And I don't think Heiser's for everybody. I'm not recommending him, but I am listening to him. Mm-hmm. So You find him worth butting up against. I think you have to. I think, well, not you, listener, necessarily. But I think most pastors today should probably butt their heads up against Heiser one way or another. I feel like you may well end up rejecting more than 50% of. Yeah, but you need to, if you're going to deal with, there's a huge fascination, and rightly so. And Nathan, you just preached a whole sermon on the occult. Mm-hmm. And as we move into a more pagan time and a pagan fascination with these sorts of things, the more of a biblical foundation that you have, and even if the biblical foundation is, uh, we don't know, and God means for us to not know, and there are some things that we ought not know. There's a difference between the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the eyes is a is a perverse curiosity to know things that God's not revealed, or that are simply not appropriate for you to know or have knowledge of, given your station in life or whatever else. And And when the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord, the secret things belong to the Lord. So there are lines to draw, but having a better understanding of, well, there are things that are revealed in scripture, and then there are places where we don't know. And so it's useful to at least be able to categorize here. The, I know what I don't know. Here are the things that I don't mm-hmm. know. Here the, so when someone says, well, we know this, you can say, well, no, we actually, don't. we don't. Oh, actually, we don't know. You want to be able yeah. to definitively, mm-hmm. in a certain sense, be able to say that. Yeah. There's a certain sort of harmony that you can 
that you can make too. You want to be careful about doing this sort of thing, but there's a certain sort of harmony that you can make when you begin to fill in some of these gaps because modern evangelicalism is downstream of the enlightenment and enlightenment rationalism where we have this bizarre bifurcation of, of all things material and scientific and all things spiritual that has nothing to do with the way God made the world actually and makes us all schizophrenic and weirdos and makes us think that we're all very rational and scientific while we have all these bizarre places where we're superstitious and spiritual and we just pretend like that's not true. It's so hard to talk about because it's just everywhere. Sending thoughts your way, positive vibes, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Like you can watch flip on a, a sports show and everybody's talking about the science and all this sort of thing. And then this, the, these bizarre spiritual like things find creep their way into how they talk about hitting a baseball or something like that. Well, the thing that I said in the sermon that I just preached and that came out in researching it, it was a sermon on the occult is we assume this bifurcation between, I'm going to sound like a Marvel character now, but we, we assume this bifurcation between magic and science, between the spiritual world and the physical world. It's just in our DNA. It just, that is sort of enlightenment thinking where it's like you have rational, the laws of the way that God made the universe over here, and then you have the spiritual world over here, and never the two shall meet. And throughout most of human history, people just have not thought that way. They have seen mind, body, and spirit as all being connected. And so in the earliest cultures, it's like your doctor was also your exorcist. Like, because Mm -hmm, the idea, because yeah, sure, you could have gout, but also a demon could be giving you gout. And it's not that these people were actually being super supernaturalists in, in the way that we would understand it, superstitious and like seeing demons everywhere. They were just, they just had actually, many of them just had a healthy sort of understanding of, well, God and to some extent the devil are involved in what has happened to me. And you really have to get to the 18th century before that goes away. Like mm-hmm. you read medieval texts, you read John Calvin, you read the reformers, you read any of this stuff. And it's like, they just have a healthy sort of oftentimes healthy, sometimes unhealthy, but they have just a, an assumption that like God is involved in my everyday's affairs. There's a spiritual reality to things, angels and demons and things like that exist. And there are powers and principalities involved. And so that, that affects stuff. It affects matter. It affects my body. And I don't remember where exactly I was going with that, but you just have to realize how, what a relative historical anomaly our whole weird rationalist point of view is. Mm -hmm. And so you have this world of people out there that are trying to put these things together. And Graham Hancock's a placeholder, Joe Rogan's a placeholder for this sort of thing where they're like, there are all these, like if you actually look at the pyramids, it's ridiculous. We still have no idea where they came from or how they were built. And they seem to like be from some ancient civilization that could do things that we still don't know how to do. And they're like the same across multiple continents. And they all coordinate with the stars in really precise ways. And it's just weird. And they all like have these stories about being built by giants. And that's true in multiple cultures on multiple continents, giants built pyramids for some reason. 
And also all these cultures have this story about this flood that happened. And so maybe there was a global catastrophic event that caused a flood that wiped out a previous unseen civilization that was advanced. That's where we get our stories of Atlantis from. And mm-hmm. maybe there were actual like giants and things like that. And then you know have Christians coming in and say, well, those were what we call the Nephilim and they were the children of the watchers. And because we've read the book of Enoch and that's what Enoch talks about. The watchers came down and had relations with the children of men and and those children were the Nephilim and they taught all kinds of perverse angelic, they brought sort of angelic demonic technology to the world and taught men about the stars and about metalworking and all kinds of crazy things like that and built huge structures and all this is in the book of Enoch. And part of what God was doing when he judged the world was judging the men who'd been corrupted, and but he was also wiping out the Nephilim and the Watchers and this perverse thing. And Noah was the prophet to men and Enoch was the prophet to the angelic demonic beings and and modern demons are just disembodied souls of the Nephilim. And there's this whole world of like ways people are put, putting these things together or trying to put them all together. And so Heiser's one person who's trying to provide some rails or some grid for actual biblical thinking about this sort of thing. I think people could read a book of Heiser if they want to. As you say, I think it's going to be better suited for a pastor or a theologian or someone who has a more comprehensive view of things. My problem with somebody like Heiser is that he wrote that book and then he wrote another one and then he wrote another one and then he wrote 10 more. Yeah, And so it's like his entire thing is how do I take this one filter? There is supernatural mm-hmm. and we can put it together. So it's the same thing as reading Jordan Peterson or seeing his biblical stuff where it's like, you know, I keep getting advertised to me his new documentary series on Exodus that he's doing for Daily Wire or whatever. And I'm sure it's got some really cool insights in it, but it's like this guy's whole filter is Jungian typology, shall we say. And that's all he's going to see. He's going to reduce it to that. And then he's going to find five or six really good things with that. And actually, a Marxist looking back will find five things to say about power inequality that are probably true. And a feminist looking back will find something. It's like you can put any filter on and it will let you see things starkly that you're looking for. But if you can't actually go to the text, as we like to say, and find what it says comprehensively. Well, and this is part of where Heiser, too, like Heiser is, because of his questions about this sort of thing, he's been willing to really untether himself from any kind of historic orthodoxy. And his Molinism Mm -hmm. is a key part of that. The fact that he was at some like massive charismatic megachurch in Florida where he was a teacher is part of that. And so it's like, on the one hand, Tripper Longman recommends this book to you. And on the other hand, like, so does, so do 10 really wacko people. And on the other hand, so does Doug Wilson. And on the other hand, so does 25,000 other insane people. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, okay. He's untethered. I mean, that's clear. You read a single article. He feels much more like a useful heretic than he does like. Yeah. Yeah, heterodox at best. Yeah, heterodox at best. Yeah, you you go and you read a blog post, and he'll be like, well, I read this book on arguing for universalism. It was a good argument. I'm just not convinced. But yeah, I'm just not convinced that that's really what God's plan is. You're like, how about you just read the Bible and let that govern your thought? 
which for all, he's a guy who's going to say, I'm a biblical theologian, I'm a Semite scholar, Semitic scholar, I am just going to, I'm going to just trust the text. And you're like, you don't trust the text. You're, you have other filters that are governing what you're doing. Like yeah, Nathan but it saying. is, it, right. I, I think the Marxist, that's a really helpful framework for helping people understand mm-hmm. how to approach him. Mm-hmm. It is useful in a world where we all have anti-spiritual materialistic filters on all the time to find somebody to hit our heads against somebody who absolutely looks through the world through a spiritual an absolutely spiritual lens. Right. It's a step towards the thing you could trust. <laughs> yeah, it's a step towards something healthy and right. balanced and biblical, but he himself is not the trustworthy, balanced biblical view. Well, and if all you ever do is read Michael Heiser and uh, Graham Hancock and whoever else, I'm sure there's and lots of other guys. tune into Rogan every week. And turn into Rogan. If that's your whole filter, then you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. You're not looking at the Bible in a comprehensive way, any more than someone who just knows the Bible from Jordan Peterson's sort of monomyth musings or from a Marxist or feminist. We only see the book of Exodus as a power struggle between the oppressors and the oppressed. Right. Is it useful to see the book of Exodus as a struggle between the oppressors and the oppressed? Oh, sure. But if that's your lens, those are the only books you read and you're just seeing that everywhere, then you become a Marxist and you ruin civilization. So don't become a... Michael Heiser guy and ruin civilization. Useful part of a balanced diet, perhaps. Anything else to say about that book? I don't think so. I think you said you had one more? I just started this morning. I think it's the only one I have left. Yeah, I just started this morning that classic book by Cloud and Townsend Boundaries, which I'd never read before. And just sort of been in the background as one of those foundational text that people seem so a certain type of person is latched onto and loves mm-hmm. and a certain type of other person hates. And, and so I thought, well, I'm going to give this a shot. We give all kinds of things a shot and talk about them. And I bet there are some useful, helpful, helpful things in here that could be, could provide some insight or some utility to me and my work. And so I gave it, I gave that a start this morning. I'm about 20 minutes in to the audio and so I came into Top Secret Studio B hopping mad. Like a wrecking <laughs> ball. <laughs> and hopping mad, not because the book is bad, but because I just thought somebody should have given me this book 20 years ago. And it would have been really, really helpful to me. If somebody, and saved me a lot of pain. If somebody I trusted gave me this book 20 years ago and said, there's some really, there are going to be some really, there may be some things in here that aren't great, but there are going to be some things in here that are going to be really helpful, help you put some pieces together in your life and make sense of yourself. So, and I wasn't just angry for myself, I was angry for other people. We have such a tendency in the Reformed world to sort of censor anything that doesn't toe perfect orthodoxy in its language and approach. Mm-hmm that we deny ourselves access to all kinds of things that are genuinely helpful. This seems, again, I'm only 20 minutes in, but this seems like one of those books that's just like, for a world where everybody is from a broken home and a divorced situation or an unbalanced household where dad doesn't know how to be dad and mom doesn't know how to be mom, even the households that are intact. Ben, what I felt as I was listening was like, what Ben articulated right away when I 
brought the book up, which is these guys are applying attachment theory in really helpful ways and trying to process it through a biblical lens. Mm -hmm. That's basically, that's what I saw. It's just like, okay, well, my mom left, my parents divorced when I was five, six years old. And these guys are just going to explain to you why you are the way you are and just sort of help you reclaim something healthy and strong. And there may be some psychological language about it that's careless careless or not great. Mm -hmm. There may be some use of scripture that's Mm -hmm. not perfect or bad, but there's just a lot of like, I suspect, again, I'm only 20 minutes in. Me and Ben have both read this book years ago. I think I've read some of it. I I don't know if I've ever just sat down and read it, but I've absorbed. I had this book. It was around. I know I had to like at least skim it at some point in my life. I'm very familiar with it. I mean, this book is from 92. It's kind of a, I want to say like a one of the classic sort of building blocks of whatever this genre is for the last 30 years, Christian self-help, whatever you want to call it, probably a better word than that. But Yeah, and you have, all, for all kinds of reasons, these knee-jerk reactions to all of the, Christ- the pseudo-Christian attempts to, to just baptize psychological self-help. Sure. And there's all kinds of reasons why this book would have been backshelved or undermined or whatever for me at any stage in my development or growth as a young man, as a young married man, whatever. Yeah, you were saying, why didn't anybody ever give it to me? And I said, well, Jake, maybe you wouldn't have been able to uh, see what mm-hmm. was good in it. You wouldn't have been able to see past some of the dumb kind of... Yeah, I think yeah, actually... I might have been in, might have caught me mid-reaction. I think it did me. I said that because I, I, I think, think that was so my reaction too. to it. I think I didn't quite trust it. I was like, am I allowed to be helped by this? Because this is like right. broadly evangelical... I'm in a Reformed church that's very doctrinally particular. Every sermon I hear is very, and this just doesn't quite, like it, it seems to raise red flags, and I want to be helped, but maybe I shouldn't. What Not I, from this What book. I really need is theology. I, and, I, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I think that may well be the case. I also think if somebody... Ma- One trusted person. Yeah, said, a, hey. a trusted person who was spiritually mature said, hey, look, mm-hmm. there's a lot in this book that's, yeah everything that you're going to hate in that but there's some really there's some good in this book that you would really really benefit from i think it could have spared me a lot of pain mm-hmm. of having to learn a lot of things the hard way and i think it could have been good for my early marriage and mm-hmm. i just think i just think i could have been really helped by it and i wish that there was that guy who i could trust who could have put that book in my hands or just give me the good version of it, the better version of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to feel like I needed to figure a lot of it out on my own. So, yeah, it is one of those books that you feel, we talk about this sort of genre of book where it's like, okay, after you basically get past the introduction and first chapter, you've got the whole book and it's just like, now we're applying it 10,000 and illustrating it Mm -hmm. 10 different ways. Feels like it's gonna be one of those types of books. I don't care. I'm gonna listen to probably the whole thing. Maybe I, I'll get tired of it at a certain point and feel like, okay, well, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I'll come back. I'll report on it next month. But I definitely am looking at this book and thinking, I wish that I had the maturity mm-hmm. to find it and read it and benefit from it twenty years ago. Well, one thing that I think 
maybe we've all come to understand in doing the show and moving to Evansville and working to help people who don't come from a reformed background is that you need to give yourself permission to approach these things from a place of strength if you do actually have that strength. And what I mean by that is it's easy when you're young and you're immature to just reject things because you feel the threat of them. Oh, this is using psychological language. I just repented of that. I can't. Eventually, you want to get to the place. Like, that's not actually the ideal place to be. If you're stuck there your whole life where you can't read anything, where you can't encounter a Jordan Peterson or a Manosphere or this or a Big Eva and take what's good about it, then you're always operating from a place of weakness and you're always feeling threatened by everything. And it's not that we shouldn't be careful and discerning and see our own sin and our own weakness and stuff like that. But there there should come a day where we actually are standing with two feet planted on the ground such that it's like, of course, boundaries isn't talking about everything. Of course, sometimes you just submit to your husband. Sometimes you walk the other mile, another mile or turn the other cheek. Of course, this doesn't describe everything. And I'm mature enough to know that and to know where these guys are lying and, and pretending like their book just gives me the whole package. And and that's okay. There's so many good principles here, and it explains so much, and they're useful handles. And so I'm going to take what's useful, I'm going to discard the rest, and I'm just not going to feel this existential threat from the fact that it's not per- perfectly formulated in my my Reformed language. Every single person yeah. that we've ever, that has ever been rubber stamped, given a great big green check mark, and I don't care who it is, has benefited from all kinds of insane people. You, Calvin's going to be quoting Cicero, Cicero, and, the, and Plato, and you know, mm-hmm. well, uh, it, it, uh, not oh, to put too fine a point on it, but the church, the early church fathers, are quite a motley crew, and some things they say are awesome, and some things they say are bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's Calvin or Luther or whoever, they're going to be picking and choosing, but they're going to be reading all of it. They're going to yeah. be reading all of Origin. And they're going to pick and choose. They're going to be reading all of Chrysostom and picking and choosing. And they're also going to be reading Plato and Aristotle and any number of bizarre mystics from the Middle Ages. And they'll be reading Aquinas and they're going to be reading all kinds of things. And there's a reason that the father of them all, Augustine, is still so beloved by pagan scholars is because he has such a depth of understanding and range of reference. And like he's such an omnivore that he's just fascinating about everything on everything and drawing from everything and that's what made him and just doing everybody's just doing their best to say all truth is god's truth and we need to filter it all through the lens of scripture and because they do that they give us things to build on Mm -hmm. and they give us insight into the world that god as god made it and and as scripture explains it and you can be a a keen observer of human nature and of the world as God made it. And a lot of people have, and they're worth benefiting from. And they see things that, you know, you just may not have the filters to see, or you may have filters that blind you from it. And it's just good to be, to start from a good biblical, biblically grounded position, doctrinally, theologically, and then have broad horizons and the ability to freely read 
and benefit from all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You are what you eat. You don't want to eat a bunch of junk, but... Well, if you don't eat anything that, I don't know how to extend this metaphor, not disagrees with your stomach, if you don't eat anything that disagrees with you and pushes you and makes you think, wait, does the Bible actually teach me what I thought it did? Then you can't grow, and you won't be able to defend biblical truth well, you have a yeah, you have who, a you have a weak immune system. That's right. Yeah, it's the immune system. You have you a want. weak immune system. You need to be growing in your ability to engage <laughs> with all kinds of different things. That means branching out. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like... It's like the kid who's not allowed to play outside, right? Because mm-hmm. he's going to get germs. What, what actually happens is his immune system gets really fragile because he's not been out there playing in the dirt. And we have to have a healthy home base and we have to be able to go out into the world and experience the world and grow and build up our immune systems and then to build up our ability to defend other people and to harmonize, you know. Mm-hmm. What Are you see? saying we should just eat garbage all the time? Then we'll be stronger. 100%. You'll yep. be stronger if you eat poison. That's what we're saying, Bozo. You, know, you definitely won't die if your diet <laughs> consists only of poison. <laughs> yeah. Zero stars. <laughs> yeah, listen, we think that you should just drink arsenic. Our drink? Is our arsenic comes in powder form or does it come in liquid we, form? I think you usually mix it in a liquid or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. 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 We, it comes we, paired with old lace is what I hear. Yeah, arsenic, old lace. And eat at Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah. Eat some chest. Uh, ben, you close the loop. <laughs> That's what I do. I love it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what we kind of, we like is loops of gold, or as I call uh, them, coins. <laughs> and uh, doubloons, I think dub, they're dub, <laughs> doubloons, <laughs> my fine fellow. <laughs> doubloons, my fine fellow. But we don't really accept them in doubloon form. We prefer a credit card or a check or something like that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash. Sound of Sanity. Yeah, I know I had a, said I had a book, but I'll read some more of my book and talk about it next time. I haven't read that much of it. And so support us at patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity. You can tell us what you want us to talk about. You can make us you can make us be your puppet. We will dance on your string. You're the godfather and we're Luca Brasi or something like that. I don't know what yeah. we are. We're going to be bad for us yeah we'll yeah we'll sleep <laughs> we with the fishes no no we'll, we'll leave the swim. gun we'll take the cannoli or we'll take the cannoli no yeah That's i right. got it right yeah you got it right yeah. Cannoli, yeah i was like oh a gun seems more important than a cannoli and then i was like oh yeah that's the point of that funny exchange okay i think it's time to draw the boundary at the end of this podcast which i'm loath to do because my daddy didn't love me but i'm gonna do it anyway until next time stay sane stay sane